0: Aspirus. Passion for excellence. Compassion for people. It's time for Aspirus Health Talk. Here's Melanie Cole. Many people occasionally experience gastroesophageal reflux or GERD. However, if your symptoms persist, it may be time to see a specialist to help with that reflux. My guest today is Dr. Clint Semrau. He's a general surgeon with Aspirus Healthcare. Dr. Samrao, what is GERD? People have heard about heartburn. They've heard about reflux. What exactly is GERD?
1: Uh, GERD affects around 80 million people in our country. Uh, It's a very common issue to see, sometimes ranging from just uh, some discomfort or burning sensation in the chest. Some people actually have regurgitation or food comes back into their mouth or issues with chronic coughs associated with it. So it's kind of a spectrum of the disease The underlying issue is that the valve that keeps food in the stomach, essentially, is being compromised and not working properly any longer.
0: Do we know why that is? Do we know what causes it?
1: Uh, Several different things usually contribute to it. hernia is very common where you get a a natural weakness. That's very common to see, but over time, it gets to the point that the body can't compensate for that anymore. Uh, Some people have a weakness in the muscle itself in the lower esophagus. Uh, sometimes things such as obesity, uh, pregnancies, those sort of things increase your abdominal pressure. There's about five, six different pathways that we control reflux, and we can tolerate having a couple of those pathways interrupted, or uh, eventually hit to the point though that we can't compensate anymore, and that's where we become symptomatic. Can
0: it be silent? Do do people always know that they have it?
1: Uh, no, people have uh, presented my practice with more advanced symptoms, such as swallowing disorders, usually don't have any heartburn symptoms because they either had it when they're younger and basically outgrew it um, or just never had those nerve areas develop um, properly down there, so they don't have the pain sensation that other people have in that area. Uh, so some people call it non erosive reflux disease, but. Uh, It's also called silent GERD, um, and that uh, usually presents later because you don't eat tacos or something and say, oh, my God, I have heartburn, I shouldn't eat that anymore. Instead, the damage is occurring over years, so you'll present with swallowing disorders or scar tissue will form in the esophagus, or you'll have something called a stricture. So the silent people are usually the ones that have more progressive symptoms when they present.
0: And while you mentioned tacos and such, one of the myths is that this is caused by spicy food. Is that true?
1: Um, my recommendation to people is if the spicy food bothers it, don't eat it. Um, in reality, I think it really depends on your situation. Uh, spicy foods and uh, anything that compromises that lower sphincter, um, onions is one uh, that'll relax the lower esophageal muscle there. So anything that's compromising that barrier can increase it. The spicy foods, used to be felt that everybody should avoid spicy foods and caffeine. Uh, I find definitely subgroups of patients that holds true in, uh, but a lot of times it's just those more acidic or more spicy foods are just increasing something that's already underlying there.
0: Let's talk about diagnosis then, as we know that a colonoscopy is a great screening for colon issues and polyps. People hear about endoscopy. Is that the screening that you would use to determine whether or not somebody has GERD or even something that might be further along like Barrett's esophagus?
1: Yeah, EGD would probably be our kind of gold standard way to work that up. Uh, when we look at colonoscopy, we have very strict screening guidelines in our country or as other countries like Japan don't. Japan, they have gastric cancer, so they everybody gets EGD there, and hardly anybody gets colonoscopies. So looking at our population here, if we do have somebody who's high risk where they've been on an antacid medicine for a number of years or they have breakthrough symptoms despite an acid medicine or... Uh, actual ulcer-like symptoms or family history, those higher-risk people are the ones who usually get into a screening group of some sort. Um, and there's kind of depending on your situation, we have different recommendations. Uh, to do a screen, we either look at doing an upper endoscopy, which is the EGD, or a barium swallows, another good t- screening, which you don't have to be sedated for, but you don't get a good look and you don't get tissue biopsies for things like Barrett's and um precancerous type lesions. They don't always pick up with uh, just a screening, like an upper GI.
0: Is GERD a precursor for cancer, doctor?
1: Uh, People untreated GERD have higher risk of cancer, um, anywhere from two to eightfold increase. Uh, If you have somebody with Barrett's or more advanced reflux issues, it's about an eightfold increase. Um, If somebody is just untreated Reflux symptoms on a daily to weekly basis, they have about a two to four fold increase. Uh, Luckily, esophageal cancer is rare in our country for most people, but if you double or quadruple something, you know, you're still talking a a three to ten percent lifetime risk um, in somebody's untreated reflux symptoms.
0: So what's the first line of treatment? As you mentioned, people try medications. There's proton pump inhibitors, which people hesitate because they've heard in the media that there's side effects to those. Some people just pop Tums, you know, every time or try not eating spicy food. What are some of the treatment options available? And speak a little bit about antacids versus proton pump inhibitors. When does it become a prescription?
1: Sure. Um uh, you know, initially starting out, you know, just a Tums takes care of it once in a while. That's a good regimen to start with. If it gets to be introducing them daily or several times a day, that's probably when you need to move on to a better acid control option. Uh, all that the Tums-type medication doing is just neutralizing that acid. So once that occurs, you get what's called rebound acid. A lot of times you'll find you'll get into this scenario where you're eating Tums throughout the day, which have some side effects with calcium and magnesium issues over time. Um, but when you neutralize that acid, your body responds by saying, I don't have enough acid. So as the medicine wears off, your body's making more, so you'll get worse acids. You get this kind of uh, chain reaction going that feeds into itself. So once you get to the point, you're needing a Tums, you on know, a daily basis or several times a day, then getting into either an H2 blocker, uh, like a Zantac-type medication, um, which is the reninidine, famotidine, the Dean families when you're looking over the counter at the medications on the boxes at the generics, versus a proton pump inhibitor, which is like a Nexium or a Meprazole. Uh, there are going to be Zol-class medications, Pranaprazol, Meprazole, Esenaprazol, um, ZLEs, the generic ending to kind of differentiate the two. The H2 blockers are our first go-to medication for this, and it does a really good job of controlling acid medicine uh, or controlling acid symptoms. I'm sorry. Uh, The um, PPI class or the protein pump inhibitors, uh, they're the newer medication. They're much more aggressive at controlling the symptoms, uh, and whereas the H2 blocker classes work really well for people for a period of time over... Usually two to five years, you start to need escalating doses and it gets to the point that your body becomes uh, non-responsive to age two class medicines, whereas you don't see at the PPI. So first line, either one's a good choice. Um, kind of downfall of the PPI class is uh, some of the side effects you'll see in the literature nowadays where it affects bone absorption. There's some associations with Alzheimer's um, and uh other malabsorption-type related issues with it. So uh, in that case, that's why if you don't have an indication like Barrett's or some actual precancerous changes, uh, we want to be really aggressive. It's nice to try start at least initially with that H2 blocker class because those side effects don't just seem to be as predominant, period.
0: So if medications don't work, and we don't have a lot of time, doctor, but speak about some procedural interventions that you might explore if somebody is still having problems with GERD.
1: Yeah. Well, the first key is to make sure it is just GERD alone. It's very common to see somebody as an underlying food allergy or uh, gallbladder issues a lot of times will present as a GERD. Uh, Once you really focus on the GERD diagnosis, Usually correcting the way that valve functions is what we need to be doing. Uh, so that involves first tests test to make sure that the esophagus is squeezing properly and the stomach's emptying properly. And if that's all functioning the way it should, then we can go in and repair a hiatal hernia if we see one or uh, recreate that valve if needed. Um, as far as the valve piece, that's where we have some variances. Um, there is something called a lynx, which is a little chain, a magnetic bead ring that has been pretty promising. It's starting to be used in community hospitals. Um, I've held off on it because I have some concerns of what it's going to be doing 10 years down the road. Um, so I've held off on that one personally. Um, the Nissen is kind of our gold standard reflux surgery. It's the most aggressive reflux surgery we have. It has a lot of side effects, though, long-term, such as bloating issues uh, and sometimes even swallowing issues with it because it's so aggressive of a wrap. Um uh, the one I do is a lot of times, though, kind of a nice happy medium, which is a, a TIFF procedure where we come in from the mouth and we recreate that valve. So it's not as aggressive as the Nissen is, but the side effect profile is much more favorable. And there's some other um, opportunities for things like Roux-en-Y, which is a gastric bypass, uh, toupees, and door funnel which are more just variations of the Nissen or other surgical approaches, depending on, you know, a patient's uh, situation. Each patient's a little different in how the best way to handle that is.
0: What about lifestyle? Doctor, what would you like people to know about things that they might try, whether it's late night eating or spicy food or exercise or how they sleep or any of these things that might help prevent GERD in the first place?
1: Uh, Sure. The uh, um, diet and exercise are Really big factors with all medicine, but you know, especially in this situation, um, maintaining weight um, or losing particularly what you call centripetal or uh, obesity or obesity around your abdominal area uh, increases your intraditional pressure. So, addressing weight alone helps. Uh, if you have underlying medical issues like diabetes, controlling those uh, as diabetes, for example, and certain medications with seizure disorders and that uh, will affect the way things empty in the stomach. Um, so kind of just getting that under control. Uh, Dietary-wise, um, well, people usually do better if they avoid eating a couple hours before they go to bed because their symptoms during the day are usually a little more manageable because you're standing up and gravity is keeping things in your stomach. But when you lay flat, uh, you'll find that you know, stuff regurgitating back because now we took out the gravity assistance and things get the opportunity to come back up easier. Um, other strategies that are popular are keeping the head of the bed elevated a little bit, or some people actually prop themselves up on pillows or sleep in chairs, kind of try to take out that gravity equation. Um, so those are kind of some of the basic starting points for managing symptoms.
0: Wrap it up for us then. Tell the listeners what you'd like them to know about when they experience bouts of heartburn or GERD and when you think it's important that they come in and see somebody.
1: Yeah, I'd say once you find that you're using a tums more than say once a week, um, it's probably time to at least bring it up with your family doctor. Uh we have a lot of options from beyond the lifestyle modifi- modifications, we have a lot of surgical options, we have a lot of medication options, um to to address things. So it does have some long term, you know, cancer risk is very real with it. it in addition to just the quality of life that comes with it. So uh I definitely say to get the point it's once a week, it's time to get into your family doctor, and then from there, it might be a simple tweaking a few things in your other medications or some lifestyle modifications that they could identify you could improve upon uh, to starting on you know, a medication class. By the time I see people, they're a little more advanced. You know, maybe oh, 1% of people end up getting any sort of real surgical evaluation with these after they're seeing their family doctor. So, it's not automatic. You have heartburn, you need surgery type of a thing. but ignoring those symptoms.
0: Thank you so much for being with us today and explaining and sharing your expertise about GERD, something that so many people suffer from the uncomfortable symptoms of heartburn. Thank you again for joining us. This is Aspirus Health Talk. For more information, please visit Aspirus.org. That's Aspirus.org. I'm Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.